Welcome back and welcome to week two Society and Learning 8003. This week, we're looking at education in New Zealand. Last week, it was great to see the interaction from everybody online and to read the really interesting discussions on Google Plus around how people saw their school as a school in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'd really like to acknowledge the comments that were made by all, everyone that posted online. Um, in particular, I really like reading the post from Jameis and also Arihana, which both of them really reflected the idea of tanga te tanga in understanding the place in which your school is located is, is not only about the people, but also the environment that it's in and the things that it's surrounded by and the land that it's on. It was also really amazing to see the development in thought about Tatiriti or Waitangi and how we reflect this in our practice. I really liked reading the honest post from Teresa, but I won't share that here. You'll have to go and check it out yourselves. Maybe you might find yourself in a similar situation. So this week, we're going to explore the historical, political, social, economic, environmental and regulatory context of the New Zealand education system and reflect upon the influences that these factors have upon our teaching practice. We also have an interview with Karen Spencer about the relationship between policy and practice, which will be coming up soon, and I'll let you know a bit more about Karen. The resources for last week allowed us to look at several watchable resources for you to ease into it. This week there's a bit more reading, and many of you might prefer this, but you'll be researching and summarising these contexts from a wide range of sources so you can debate and critique how they relate to your particular practice and context. Although there's quite a bit of reading this week, there's also quite a bit of collaboration which should take the sting out of the tail of all that literature. But you'll have to organise yourself, so please use the Google Plus community to be inclusive of everyone. As we always say, many hands make light work. Although people also say, too many cooks spoil the broth, but I don't know who eats broth anyway. You'll have to work in your Kai Hapai groups, so now's a great chance to reconnect with those people that you might not have heard from for quite a while. Um, So, yeah, I'm not going to mention any names, but yeah, try and reconnect with some other people. Now, the main learning objective this week is um, learning objective two for the paper 8003 which is to critically analyse teaching practice in the bicultural, multicultural, social, political, economical, historical, environmental and legal context of Aotearoa New Zealand. To enable you to do this, we've got two key documents that summarise the current state of the New Zealand education system, um, and they're especially from a secondary perspective. The first document is from uh, the NZCER, or the New Zealand Council for Educational Research. Now, if you haven't found their website, Um, make sure you have a look because you probably won't have to look any further for highly relevant research on education in New Zealand. They also publish a really good journal called SET, S-E-T, which is available online uh, through the Unitech library. Anyway, this research collates a wide range of data on different perspectives of secondary education in New Zealand, from principals and boards of trustees to teachers and whānau. The second document is a 2017 report on educational equity in New Zealand. Successes, Challenges and Opportunities by Sarah Bolton. Both of these documents are quite detailed and extensive, so we thought we'd encourage some agency and collaboration where you'd be able to choose who you work with and the section you look at um, from either of the resources. So we're going to ask you to look at a Google document and um, you can find that in the class notes. And if you just choose which section you'd like to look at, first in, first serve on that one, so it pays to have a look early so you're not left with reading the references or something like that. We'd then like you to look at the Springboard resources to expand your knowledge around this area and post something in Tuya Tukupu. So many of you will remember Tuya Tukupu from our last workshop and I've included a guide, a one-pager of how to use this resource in this week's email. It's also in the portal. So just a reminder about the course and the delivery of these papers. 
These taught papers are blended learning, which means you've got autonomy over where and when you complete the tasks during the week. However, there are suggested times because many of these tasks are collaborative. And if everyone posts and chooses to collaborate on Sunday evening, it's going to be really busy and we're not going to get the true learning out of the collaborative and the constructivist uh, elements which have been built into the course. There should be lots of different ways to represent your ideas built on the universal design for learning. So there may be tasks which you don't feel necessarily so comfortable with. However, there'll probably be other people who can support you and um, build your knowledge around using these different tools and ideas. There are 150 total learning hours for this course, 8003 Society and Learning, and they're spread over 10 weeks. 120 of these are self-directed and 30 directed. These will be covered through face-to-face workshops, online seminars and the podcasts over the 10 weeks. This means that there should be 12 hours a week of self-directed study. The tasks take up a fraction of this and it should be possible to complete these in your point four release time alongside your in-school mentor on your LAA meetings and reflections. Now your results for the first formative assessment will be released for those of you who handed the assessment in on time uh, this Monday. Some of the themes that we've noticed when marking these submitted assessments were based on a lack of reference to the relevant cultural and professional knowledge to underpin your observations. You needed to include more theory related to what you understood was happening in the classroom to, to back it up essentially. Another general area that needed more attention was the slight chance that many of you didn't seem to even read the rubric um, and submitted just a description of either what had been happening in your classrooms or your teaching. The focus of these assessments was specifically on the skills required for your learners and for you in your curriculum-specific subject area. Another area which needed um, more work was the inclusion of more relevant extracts from your portfolios. However, those of you who included parts from your portfolio were really, really good. And it was great to see that it had been useful and your reflections have been um, genuine, authentic and um, well used. So there have been scores provided with your feedback. However, these are only an indication of the areas which you'll need to work on for future submissions. These formative submissions will scaffold you into successfully completing the practical papers. Assessments 1.4 and 2.4, which are the summative assessment for the practical courses, are competency-based assessments, which means you have to demonstrate your proficient in all areas of the rubric, meeting the LOs for the course. This is much more difficult than an achievement-based assessment, where you would only need 50% to pass, and achievement-based assessments are generally what we have in education. The saying, C's get degrees, doesn't cut it with us, and we really want to ensure that you're all well-rounded professionals who meet and exceed the graduating teacher standards in all areas, not just half or 50% of them. Now, this week I've included four extra links to relevant pieces that have been in the New Zealand news over the past week, and I'm going to continue to do this each week. Now, the first article is an opinion piece by Katie Fitzpatrick, who's a lecturer at University of Auckland, who talks about how the Tomorrow's Schools Review, which is a really big review, which is going to be happening over the next uh, couple of months based on education in New Zealand, and Karen's going to talk a bit more about that in the podcast, is actually being led by um, people with perhaps ulterior motives. So have a look at that and see um, what, what you think. There's also another article which is related to the content on this course to do with how um, Auckland schools could do better for ESOL students and the Education Review Office, or ERO, which found that two out of five Auckland schools and three out of five early education centres have been marked as 
could do better for non-English speaking children. And as you'll know from looking at some of the statistics this week in the content, um, Auckland and, and New Zealand in general is one of the highest ratios of immigrants in any city in the world with 39% of its population born overseas. It's a really diverse place to live, as we know. Uh, the debate continues for charter school um, parents and the students, and they are protesting at the moment outside Jacinda's uh, electorate office. And there's a lot of people who like to save charter schools, whereas the government have said they're going to close them down. And there's also uh, more talk, and this is related to the policy and principles, which we're going to be talking about this week, around the funding model model for students with um, specific learning needs. Um, so have a look at that as well. The fuck-toki for this week is Hipai te tirohanga ki nā mahara mō nā rā pāhimo engari ka puta ti māmaratanga i runga i ti tirato whakamaua. It's fine to have recollections of the past, but wisdom comes from being able to prepare opportunities for the future. I think this directly relates to understanding why we're looking at New Zealand education and some of the history associated with it, some of the policies and some of the ideas which have shaped how our students learn and are educated every day. And for us as a cohort, we really need to understand these things so we can now lead the next steps of education and the future of education in New Zealand. Now, as I mentioned earlier on, I'm joined today by the wonderful Karen Spencer, who I have a great deal of respect for. She's challenged me over the years with some really uh, strong professional conversations around what are we doing in education and why are we doing it. Uh, Karen's got over a decade in leading national education initiatives as a senior consultant, but is now delighted to return to where the rubber hits the road as deputy principal at Wellington High School. Karen is internationally recognised for leadership in networked professional development, digital technologies and inclusive learning. She's written for Education HQ, The Education Review, several New Zealand academic journals and blogs, including her own, KarenMullyWishSpencer.com, which I definitely recommend you on visiting. There's plenty of really topical and interesting articles there spanning the last few years of uh, Karen's reflective blogging uh, exploration. Now she's an inspiring keynote speaker and is presented in conferences in New Zealand and overseas. And I'd really love it if you actually um, had the opportunity to connect with Karen. And one of the better ways to do this, like Tamihinga, who we had on the podcast last week, is through Twitter. And Karen's handle is at virtually Karen. And um, yeah, get in touch with her there. Kia ora, Karen. Piki mai, kaki mai. Welcome aboard the MTEL podcast. Oh, kia ora. Thanks, Tim. It's lovely, lovely to be here. Maloa lele. Talo falava. Always nice to have a bit of a yarn with you. I remember actually um, the first time I met you was online and you were interviewing me for a webinar and I was talking about something to do with social engagement in uh, online activities or something. I can't remember. I was really nervous and I was, I did, I did, I was like, oh, I've tried to prep for it so much, but um, it's really nice to have the shoe on the other foot and me interviewing you. That's so great. Really- I'm terrified, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are. That's all good. Um, so our participants uh, have been looking at Tatiriti or Waitangi, and we asked them a really interesting question last week around how do they actually know that they're in a school in Aotearoa, New Zealand? Oh. Um, how about you and your role as a DP? 
Yeah. Um, how do you know your school is in Aotearoa, New Zealand? Because uh, we've got the name Wellington in the title of our school. <laughs> I've not been at our school. I only, only joined last year. I'd had about a decade working um, really across across New Zealand. And so it's been really lovely to to come back to working working in a school and and to look at what makes this this school special compared to you know the other the other schools that I've looked at. I mean, you know, we've got the things that people will often look at um, the obvious cues like um, the you know not only are we Wellington High School but we are Takura Tuarua or Taraika Ki Pukiahu. Um, you know, we have a marae. We focus strongly on the work that we do um, as a as a school in a in a bicultural country. Um, we've just made Tureo compulsory actually um at, wow. at year nine so that's an opportunity for for our junior students to pick it up and then we've got immersion courses running as well as um english and, and maori medium so we've we've got a really strong focus on it here but i one of the things i really like about about our school which is not necessarily just about being bicultural um is the fact that we've got a really strong um, tradition of kind of liberal social action that runs through the the um, the Whakapapa of of Wellington High. We're a, a co-ed urban um, mm. year seven to thirteen school. Um, we're known. We seem to be known certainly locally for for the work that students have done in um, around um, you know, LGBT um, inclusive practices here. Um, we've got yeah. a, a strong history of, of innovation and, and vocational education. I think there's something, you know, you think about New Zealand giving women the vote first and, and being mm, really, yeah. really um, quite politically active and punching above its weight around the world in terms of liberal politics. And so I like to think we've got a bit of a flavour of that going on here as well. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And uh, so good to hear that Te Reo Māori is compulsory. So is that a yeah. year nine or when do they do that? So we've we've rolled that into year nine and ten from this year, and then once you're in the year eleven, twelve, and thirteen, you can take it as an option um, either within a, a kind of English and Tereo Māori course, or you can take it as an immersion course right through. Yeah. Oh, what an amazing so step! In the so right it's really neat. Yeah, no, it's good. So it's kind of early days, but just you know, each each step forward is another commitment. So I think it's we're really really pleased to have done that. Well, um, you've got a good perspective. Um, obviously, in your intro, I talked about how you've been working across uh, many schools in the last 10 years as a senior consultant and obviously doing a bit of time back in sunny old England yep. as well as an English teacher. Um, what sort of things do you see from that perspective of um, understanding education in these different realms that make the New Zealand education system perhaps successful and, and unique? Um, well, no, I mean, you're right. I, I taught for a, a decade in the UK and then, and then came out here and have, have worked here for, for 20 years. Um, and I, I follow with great interest the um, developments that happen overseas as well. And I think what makes New Zealand really interesting um, and in some ways quite unique is the way that, that I think that the, the government, the ministry, the schools have worked really hard to try and make education be truly reflective of the cultures that we have here. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things, and I don't know whether it's a result of the tomorrow schools policy or whether it's kind of the way that New Zealanders think about education generally, but that that shift from having power and control situated at 
just at a government level. You know, the, the devolution of it out to schools, um, mm-hmm. you know, 30 years ago, I think has really meant that we can be doing things um, in a really uh, tailored, flexible, values-driven way. Actually, I think that's one of the things that makes New Zealand quite an interesting place for overseas educators to come and, and work and, and, and study what we're doing over here, because we've got such an interesting balance between that centralized control. Um, and yeah. there are things that we have to do, you know, Eero come and have a look at what we do. And we have the education council and, you know, the, the teaching standards. But, but we have comparatively high levels of freedom at a school level in terms of what we're able mm. to um, weave when we're working with young people. And I think um, that makes it a really interesting and exciting place to be. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, obviously I've taught in England as well and looking at our news, you know, the English national curriculum document, it's, it's as thick as a Bible, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's, it's A4 size as well. That's so, right. That's you know, right. Our curriculum document's got some really nice guidelines, but if schools are using it properly, they can actually almost reinvent it in their local area to say, this is what we value yes. as a school, as a community, as a wider whānau, and this is what we're going to teach. So, yeah. I mean, I think used properly, the New Zealand curriculum and the education system here is really flexible. That's right. I mean, we've got a real mandate to, to develop, you know, local, local curriculum for the, for the students and the area and the, and the space where we are. I mean, that, that's not, it's not entirely... Um, it's not entirely positive. Sometimes I think it, it, it brings with it some challenges as well. But that, I mean, it is a values and principles driven curriculum. And it's sort, you know, the, the government have given us a mandate to put students at the heart as much as we, we feel we can in schools. And, I, and that's a really, um, a really heartening approach when you look at the, the international discourse around what makes for successful learning. And in the last few years, mm. it's been very strongly in favor of, um, not necessarily student, students leading it all the time, but, but definitely young people having agency and a shared voice around what is happening with them and to them. And I think here in New Zealand, we've got all the opportunities to be able to make that a reality. Yeah, I agree. Um, you touched on some of the things that perhaps are less successful. What other things could you say about, you know, holistically as a New Zealand education system, what's quite slightly less positive? Well, I think that the the point that we just talked about there around the the freedom that stu- that that schools have, um, and the the fact that we can make that that curriculum our own, uh, and you talk about if it's being done properly. I mean, I think I think that's also been one of the hardest things. I mean, our curriculum document now. I was involved in the the rollout in two thousand and seven. I think it was. So here we are, eleven years later, and it's still something that I think schools are grappling with. And so the the joy of being able to develop your own curriculum, I think, has meant that lots of schools have found themselves inventing and reinventing the wheel. And, you know, we, we, often, we often get better at what we do by being exposed to the work of others and having yeah. that external input. And I think for some schools, particularly if you're rural, you know, it's a small school, you're, you're not situated in a large urban community, it can be really difficult to have external input feeding the way you design curriculum and so we've got um i think i think it'd be fair to say it it it's probably kind of it's pretty uneven in terms of what we see mm. happening across schools and so you could argue that there's an equity issue there that that great practice that might be happening in one school is not necessarily being transferred to other schools simply because we've got that very devolved um system and i think that also makes it really hard then if you're um 
you know, I guess working at a ministry level or a government level, trying to trying to be clear that the system is really working at its best for students is probably quite difficult. I mean, I think the the policy around national standards was a very clear attempt to try and um, get a consistency of um, a consistent measure of quality and achievement going across schools mm-hmm. that are really kind of running things for themselves. And, and we all know how that that has played out recently. And that's been a very challenging, um, challenging thing to do. So so that's so that that freedom that schools have brings some costs with it, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah and, and you meant you mentioned tomorrow's schools there as well. And, and tomorrow's schools, one of the main parts of tomorrow's schools was that the uh, power was decentralized and it was passed out to the schools to be managed by a board of trustees. A lot of the time, obviously, all the time, the boards of trustees are extremely well-meaning, but they're not necessarily given the support that they need and the training that they need to be able to steer the ship in the right direction. Um, that's right. That's right. And I think it, you know, it relies on it relies on the expertise in, in your board, and it relies on um, the the leadership of the school having the expertise to kind of step up and and steer the ship each time. And um, you know, that that's where professional learning then becomes absolutely crucial. And and then you're into discussions around how easy is it to access good quality professional learning for 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 all schools is every is every school leader getting the same the same opportunity so so it's really that that consistency of opportunity and equity to quality education uh, equity of access to quality education is something that i think has been a, a bit of an ongoing challenge around um tomorrow's schools and then of course you've got you've got the unintended consequence of of that which is competition between schools yeah. Which yeah, is precisely. which is what's on the plate at the moment for review, I think. Yeah, I mean, many people looked at the tomorrow schools model as um, something which you could say it was the commodification of education, in that yeah. every single school was in competition for students. The more students that they had, the more funding that they had, and the better resource they were, and more successful they come. Obviously, there's mm. lots of negative side effects with that, and I think perhaps the antidote for that and uh, something which has been brought in recently is the communities of learning where schools uh, um, Mm. put in communities to support each other and share that expertise and have greater equity in in the every school is different in the staff the makeup the speciality and expertise and some schools are good in some areas however if they work in a community you can share those really amazing um, elements that each school's got thinking about recent changes and the change in government and understanding um, lots of policies are coming up for review what sort of policies and in particular ideas do you think some of our participants working in low decile secondary schools should be aware of or um, maybe even having their say on what they think should happen to to some of these reviews. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not you're not kidding. There's there's a huge uh, number of initiatives on the on the desk of the the minister and the ministry at the moment. I mean, I guess that's the kind of thing you expect to see when you have a, the change of government like we've seen in the last in the last year. And there's been some really swift decisions from the top, hasn't there? The mm. the minister choosing to. Um, uh, you know, pretty much stop national standards in their in their tracks is is kind of an obvious example that we can probably all think of. Um, you know, it, in some ways, it's really hard to keep your mind on that big picture when you're working every day in a school and your concern is very much about about the students mm-hmm. that you're working with. But I do think that um, if if we take our eye off off the ball in terms of those policies, we miss the opportunity to have a say. And and those are the, exactly the same policies that will impact on the work that we do with our students in, in coming months. Um, so, so the last time I was having a, a look at the, 
the Ministry of Education website. I think there were 16 different initiatives that, that are up for either review or, um, or discussion. The, the big two are probably the review of tomorrow's schools um, and the review of NCA. Um, and so mm. I guess those of you listening to the podcast who are, who are going into uh, secondary schools, will be particularly interested uh, in, in the second one. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned that the competition between schools. So that's been the, the, the most, um, the saddest, I guess, perverse incentive that came about after that initiative was rolled out 30 years ago. So I think the, the government is open to looking at um, fresh, fresh models for how we can organise the education system. So that's going to be interesting. And I know that they've got a board already uh, selected and some terms of reference there. So at some point, I'm assuming will it will be opened up to have a for other people to have a say. Um, mm. But the NCA review is is really interesting. If you're working in a in a secondary uh, context, um, you know we're ten years or so down the track with NCA, and so the big question really around that is whether that um, whether that system is still fit fit for purpose. When you have a look at the kinds of things they're going to be reviewing, uh, well-being is really high on the list. Um, student well-being in terms of the amount of assessment that students are asked to do. Also, staff well-being in terms of the, the workload of marking. Um, yeah. Is there equity? I think there's been some interesting research done about the kinds of standards that different students are invited to do. Um, there was a piece of uh, research that came out last year that suggested that different decile schools asked different students to go down different pathways or were mm -hmm. gently encouraging students into different pathways. And so I think that's being looked at. Um, how well the different learning areas hang together, how well the different standards hang together. And also, quite interestingly, I think they're looking at whether, um, whether or not we should be assessing things like key competencies. So at the moment, you know, you do, you do NCA standards and, and they're often strongly focused around cognitive engagement with a with a, a an area of knowledge or a discipline area like an English standard or a PE standard um, and I think it's you look at our current curriculum um, there's been some debate around whether or not we should give some some credence to assessing um, kind of the the in inverted commas the softer softer skills and competencies so so those are yeah. two yeah yeah so they're, they're two of the really um, interesting um, policies that are up for up for debate in in the coming week yeah mm. yeah I mean, re and really exciting as well i think the nca review is one that's sort of slowly been burning away obviously um we all yeah. heard about how they were going to digitize the um, nca exams and um, make them computer based and so on and yep a lot of people saw that as a revelation but really it was just instead of using an a pen and paper you were going to use a, a, a to type it in you know it didn't really yeah. unleash perhaps the potential of the technology there but I think there's other ways my personal view is there's other ways to use technology to capture some of those ideas around those soft skills that we talk about and which businesses also talk about around how we can develop people rather than developing people that just are good at you know yeah regurgitating <laughs> skills and so on um and it's interesting as well that perception of what businesses want as opposed to perhaps what universities want the perception is that some subjects are far less valuable than others. And to get university entrance, you must have a certain level and a certain range of subjects. And a lot of NCEA is actually built around that structure. And it's almost as if the universities are dictating what we should be teaching in our schools. 
And it's not so much about the learners and what they need to learn. It's about what the universities uh, are requiring. And if you think about our school populations, how many of them are going to university? Mm. It seems like we're fitting, trying to fit a lot of young people into the system, which isn't going to be fit for them. And I guess that's what you're talking about. Is it fit for purpose? That's right. That's right. And, and there's no way that they'll be able to to um to do an, a review of NCA without looking at the the ecosystem in which that um in which NCA exists and you're absolutely right the the opportunity to pursue the pathways that you want to pursue as a young person um that you know they need to be transparent um there needs to be equal equal weighting to the different types of of standards that you might need um and and yeah you I mean you're right the 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 way that universities to a certain extent gatekeep what what mm. Um, what you need and and what's uh, what's appropriate. I mean, you, yeah, they're going to have to look at the at the whole the whole system there. So so it's going to be uh, it's going to be really uh, really interesting and timely. I think certainly here at here at Wellington High, we're going through our own internal um, senior curriculum review, and I know we're not alone in that. There's lots of other schools who are now looking really hard at how we can probably run alongside the NCA review and actually begin to bring in some some changes um, almost ahead of it, really. We can already see where we can um, use the, the qualification more flexibly and, and begin to reduce the amount of uh, assessment that's, that's been offered to students. Allowing students to be involved in that process as well is, is really powerful and saying, you know, what suits oh, you? How, how do you see yourself evolving over this time in your senior school? It's a really important time. Yeah, um, yeah. In a, in a recent blog post I just read from you called Of Policy and Practice, <laughs> uh, you wrote about the challenge of deciphering the knowledge versus skills debate, which is kind of what we just talked about around NCEA. Yeah, yeah. But for our practitioners in the classroom, and as you mentioned earlier on, it's really interesting to sort of keep your eye on the bigger picture, but also know that you've got 30 kids coming into your class tomorrow and you need to be <laughs> engaging them. Um, how, how, how have we muddied the water between policy and practice? Um, you know, how do you see that relationship mm. between the policy and the practice? For our, our, our participants, understanding that they're first-year teachers, they've just done their first 10 weeks in school. Yep. Yep. What, you know, what, why do they need to know about educational policy? What's it got to do with what they teach? It's interesting, isn't it? I was thinking um, uh, before we headed into this podcast around that, that analogy of the, the frog in the gently warming water that you... You often don't don't realise the uh, the impact of of um, certain things upon you, but there's no doubt that you know a, a first year teacher your 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 vision is often limited to the the staff room and the students and the and the colleagues that you're working with, but but every every action and decision and expectation that's placed on a teacher is as a result of some policy, um, and there's a whole confection of things that have an influence on how we have to behave as professionals. And the kind of things that are expected of us, and without even without really thinking about it, it's certainly important to to understand that there's a relationship between our role as a teacher every day and what the minister or the ministry is expecting of us. And um, you know that's communicated through all kinds of things, from um, you know ministry guidelines to the mm -hmm. kind of uh, assessment structures that we work in. You know, we've just talked about NCA. That's a that's a a policy there. The way that schools work under tomorrow's schools has an impact on how um, how we work as as teachers. There's the um, the work of the Education Council, which defines the standards, which define mm -hmm. the kind of teacher we are, and the codes of professional practice that we follow. So, I mean, it makes us sound like we're we're small cogs in this enormous <laughs> set of wheels and at the mercy of it. And I think 
I think for me, it's important to know that even as even as a um, uh, an individual teacher, we have opportunities to to feed into the conversation around where policy might go. And the reason that I wrote that blog post is, of course, the the change in government has precipitated all kinds of conversations about where education could go. Um, and and the the minister, you know, the the Labour government are really really inviting feedback. You know, they've they've run a, a huge online education conversation recently. I heard, you know. Thousands of people have already filled in a, a, a survey from the ministry around what they would like to see um, in education in the future. Um, we've got students here at school who are going to one of the two big education summits that are happening um, this this month, one in Christchurch, one in Auckland. Um, and I know the government's really keen to hear the words of students as opposed to you know, teachers who've been around. I mean, they want to listen to teachers as well. But there's a there's an open dialogue at the moment because there's opportunity for change. And so, um, while the idea of policy and government, especially in your first year, might seem a very far off thing to be thinking about, people coming into the profession are beautifully placed. I think to to have a voice. Um, you know, you could do it through your union. You can do it when your um, when submissions or feedback are directly invited from from the ministry. Um, you can do it through your local MP. Um, there's all there's all kinds of of different ways to to feed in. Um, because what becomes policy tomorrow becomes our practice, you know, in a in a few months' time. And so um, it's it's really useful to at least keep a weather eye, you know, keep half an eye on what's going on, even while you're even while you're just trying to survive each day when you're putting your lessons together, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's also surprising for a lot of individuals how much of a difference they can actually make. Um, mm. A lot of people choose to stay silent because they think no one's going to listen to me and I'm a first year teacher. Mm. But I really love your point is that what our participants are bringing to the table is a different view, a different perspective and a fresh set of eyes, um, That's right. which is looking at things um, through a different lens. And this lens hopefully is really student orientated and really open to the wider world where, you know, you might have teachers who've been teaching for 20 years and have seen all these different changes and different evolutions of policy and practice. And they're a bit worn down by it and they'd rather things just stayed the same because it's easier. But we, we know there's a challenge in our schools. We know there's a huge amount of educational inequality. And yep. the only way we're going to change that is it's probably starting with looking at policy and how we can influence that. And I think that's one of our major goals of, of the um, Teach First Akumatutu and the uh, Masters of Teaching and Education Leadership is that many of our participants will go on to steer and guide yep. these policies to make it um, a much more beneficial outcome um, for, for the learners in our particularly low decile schools. Oh, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the notion of practice feeding into policy and policy informing practice, I mean, that would be the ideal. And so the work that, that we do as teachers every single day, um, there's an opportunity for, you know, a ministry, if, if it's listening, to, to learn about the realities um, of life at school um, for young people and, and for teachers. And so um, never underestimate the, the importance of your own experience and your own view and being able to, to feed into the broader conversation when there's an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. As a as a final as a final message to to those teachers who are who are listening to this podcast, and I'll put my my deputy principal hat on at, at the moment here. It's incredibly exciting and rewarding for um, schools to have 
people coming into the profession. You hear a huge amount in the media about how teaching is not very popular um, and not well rewarded and very tiring. And I think that I think the dominant discourse in the media is that is that education is not a great career choice. Um, I would be the first one to say it's it's a fantastic career choice. Um, it's never boring. You can make a difference, and I think increasingly there is an appetite for for the profession to be recognised as a profession. Um, in the next the next year, you know, there's a strong focus, I think, from the government on on what the education profession can and should be. Um, and I think, you know, and every day you get a, a chance to make a, a real difference to young people's lives. And, you know, whether it's a, a conversation in a corridor or a, a lesson that, you, that you've designed that's really tailored to, to meet your students where they're at and to give them a voice in their learning, you know, I think it's, I think it's an absolutely wonderful profession. And, and I've, been, I've been out of, you know, out of working in a school for a decade and people when I said I was going to go back and, and work in, in schools again, and, and people were like, you're, you know, you're mad. That's a really, I mean, people are always going the other way. People are leaving. And I, I couldn't be happier to be back in a school community. And I'm really excited to hear that you've got such a, a large number of people on the uh, master's program this, this year, Tim. And I think they've all made a fabulous decision. Well, kia ora, Mike, Karen. Thanks very much. I mean, <laughs> kia ora. lovely work. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back in uh, on another podcast sometime in the future and maybe even awesome. potentially a face-to-face workshop so our wonderful participants can meet you at oh. some point if um our participants would love to get in touch with you obviously have a read of your blog which we're going to link in the class notes this week and send you a tweet on yep. virtually karen go which for is it your hand. okay absolutely always always welcome to have a bit of a yarn online anyone's welcome to get in contact for sure Cool. It's been really, it's always lovely to see you, mate. It's lovely. It was a, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope it's, I hope you can find some useful nuggets to put in your podcast. These podcasts are published under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Division, 4.0 International. The music used in the intro and outro is a track called Siesta by Jazar from the Free Music Archive and is licensed under the Backtribution Sharelight 3.0 and Portal. T.A. Modi Order. Thank you.